If you were driving in your car, for instance, okay? Close your eyes. You're in your car. No, close your eyes in the car. But right now, think about it. You're in your car. You're driving. And then all of a sudden, from the back seat, I just pop up and go, hey! <laughs> you just whack me in the head, wouldn't you? That would be, that wouldn't be nice. Hold on to your seats, folks, because we're going to crank it up. We are now conducting our final systems check. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your spectral magical host, <laughs> Jiminy Cricket. Everybody in the Magic Kingdom wants to welcome you to WDW Radio, your information station. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 372 for the week of August 3rd, 2014. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic with this weekly podcast, as well as my videos, blog, live broadcast every Wednesday night, my Walt Disney World trivia books, 102 ways to save money at Walt Disney World, my audio tours, newsletter, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. So I am a Disney fan. First and foremost, and through the years of creating WDW Radio and many of the other things that I've done, I've had the pleasure and the honor and the opportunity to speak with and meet some of the people whose work I've admired and appreciated and have impacted my love for Disney in an incredibly positive way. And this week, I sit down once again with one of those incredible creatives, Disney legend and Imagineer, Tony Baxter. We chat about everything from Disney fandom, the recent resurgence of Disney animated films, Walt Disney, new attractions in Fantasyland, journey into imagination and figment, interactivity in the Disney parks and what the future may hold. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned as I'll have some updates and announcements, including information about the next On the Road event in Dallas, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. How old is the Earth? How was it formed? These and other questions about our watery planet have intrigued man since the beginning of time. Star Tours announces the arrival of the Endor Express. Once we've had a chance to service the Star Speeder, we'll begin our boarding procedures. Thank you. Howdy, folks. Please keep your hands and arms inside the train and remain seated at all times. Now then, hang on to them hats and glasses, because this here's the wildest ride in the wilderness. I bet you wish you never been born, huh, Red Rabbit? Well, you mine, you mine, <laughs> and you're not getting away this time. <laughs> what are you doing, Red Fox? Let me go! Imagination, imagination. 
a dream can be a dream come true with just that spark in me and you. Listen, the command considers us a bunch of losers. But we're gonna do it right this time because we're the best. We don't, we'll be drummed out of the core. When you think of the new generation of legendary Disney Imagineers who helped create some of the most memorable attractions in the Disney parks worldwide, the first name that possibly pops into your mind is that of Tony Baxter. During his nearly five decades with the Disney company, he lived the Disney dream by starting out as an ice cream scooper on Main Street USA to overseeing projects such as Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, Star Tours, Splash Mountain, the Indiana Jones Adventure, Disneyland's reimagined Fantasyland, the Finding Nemo submarine voyage, Star Tours, and of course, Journey into Imagination. He went on to become the Senior Vice President of Creative Development in Walt Disney Imagineering before retiring from his full-time position in February 2013. That same year, he was awarded Disney's highest honor, being named a recipient of the Disney Legend Award and his own window on the same Main Street in Disneyland that he looked at in awe when he was just eight years old. Having always admired and appreciated his work, I was thrilled to have the chance to meet and then sit down and chat with Tony at last year's Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet. That interview can be found by listening to WDW Radio Show number 289 through iTunes on the WDW Radio website or through the free WDW Radio app. I was thrilled when I heard that Tony was going to be coming back to this year's Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet event and was excited when I was able to sit down and spend some time chatting with him one-on-one, and more importantly, to be able to share that conversation with you. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my friends, I present to you Disney legend, Tony Baxter. So, uh, Tony, it is such a thrill to be back here with you again in the place that I met you two years ago. Yeah, back exactly in, the uh, same room. Beautiful downtown Linwood, Washington, um, which is sort of the hub of Imagineering activity, obviously, <laughs> at least once a For year. this weekend it is. Yeah, definitely. so... It's um, like Small World out in the lobby. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, I, you know, so I'll start with a question I hadn't planned. When you come to events like this, which are fan-generated... And you see not just the enthusiasm that you might get when you go to a D23 and people are coming to you, but you see people that are coming in costume and creating things like a small world display and some of the things that people do to, you know, create and sort of display their love and their passion for this brand. How does you as, I guess, as an Imagineer, former Imagineer, what do you think when you see things like that? Well, I, I've kind of grown up with the Disneyana group that uh, is down in Anaheim, you know, which is another fan-based uh, uh, organization, and I've tried to support them all the way because um, I enjoy going to it because I kind of consider myself one of those. And it's weird, but when you're working for that the company, you've got to hold it in check so as not to be re- regarded as a geek, but you've got to have, like, your, you know, your, your hat on that says I'm physically, fiscally responsible you know person not someone who is swayed so easily by the product itself and in some ways that's kind of sad that uh, and you know I think we've had different managements throughout time and some of them do actually kind of respond well to the, the the personality that loves the product but not always so you have to be guarded about it and I think what I can do at these is let my guard down mm-hmm. and so you come in and it's like um, you know, I, I think it's harder for people to accept me as one of them and let me enjoy it 
uh, as a fan. And I think that's the, the only hard part of it because everyone wants, um, you know, wants a little bit of you. You're, well, because we, we yeah. look at you yeah. differently. We look at you But I'm as, not. I, see, that's the weird thing. I'm not. I'm exactly the same. It's just that the stars align such that I was living in Anaheim, riding my bike out there, doing the same thing. And I showed a piece of art to someone at Carnation who showed it to Dick Nunes, who took it up to Imagineering. And honestly, I had no ins from the Hollywood side of it at all. You know, so I came out of Santa Ana High School. Uh, my mom was a teacher and all that. So I grew up with it, uh, loving it. And I do think it gave me an edge when I got in there because um, all of the people I started working with uh, were older. And I think they uh, were doing great work responding what, to what Walt wanted done. And there was a comfort zone and a security in, well, you know, if Walt wants this, we'll just do it in the most beautiful way we possibly can. All of a sudden, Walt's gone. And uh, a lot of these people not really having that sense of what Walt Disney loved to do are kind of going, well, now what do we do? How do we find the next thing? So I walked into that, and I grew up riding my bike out there, you know, saving up $5 to get in, uh, buying all the souvenirs, all that stuff. So it was pretty easy for me to say, well, here's what we should do. This would be really neat. And then all of a sudden to be sitting there building a big Thunder model going, they don't know that they they could have had me do this for free, you know, (laughs) that I would have done this for free with all these great tools and um, materials to build this that I could never afford if I did it at home. And they're paying me to do this. They really don't understand, you know. But uh, so I, you know, I I think, you know, for those of us that really do love Disney, um, coming to these things is just being one with um, people that are very like-minded, you know. So it's just whether you're on the inside or you're outside, it's all the same to me. I would rather be sitting on the curb at Disneyland watching a new parade um, or going to Comic-Con to see all the exciting new movies that are going to be coming out or going to even Harry Potter in Florida to see the miracles that they've wrought down there with the new the new uh, diagonally. So I think, you know, you can't, you know, I try to not just be uh, brand-oriented, but to be... Um, like-minded with the same aspirational things that whether it's Disney or whoever's doing wonderful things, I I love them, you know, so I will go to them Um, and I'm not brand specific. Well, I I think that's why not only were you as successful as you were during your career with Disney but why when you do come to these things and, and people start to see you you, that we realize that you're human and you mm-hmm. are one of us and we as fans you know we love that because that's how we look at you you know we look at you sort of as the friend that you don't know exists out here and we say yeah. hey he is one of us he does get it he is a fan first that does want to go to the parks and enjoy them that mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. so you being able to sort of live that dream where you're the kid who you know gets gets that in ends up working for Imagineering and then as you know as you're about to sort of um you know, as you exit the company, you are inducted as a Disney legend. You know, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden that your name is up there on Main Street in Disneyland with the people whose work you admired for so many years before. Tell us that whole process and what, you know, <laughs> as a fan, because as a fan, that's what we dream of. Like, oh, yeah. you have my name on Main Street. That I mean, you sort of live every person who's here and every person who's listening or watching. That's the dream. 
Well, actually, for me, the dream was getting to do the stuff, not so much being honored, even though of all the honors I got in the last year, including the legend thing and all that, probably the window on Main Street means the most because those names up there uh, are the people I knew. And I worked with a good many of them, most of them. Um, and so I kind of know them as friends, and I miss seeing them around. So I think the other du- you know, kind of dubious honor is I'm kind of the first of the next generation, you know, so everyone mm-hmm. else is first generation. And that's kind of scary because most of them are not with us anymore. So I look down that street and I go, I worked with all those people, and now I'm probably the first one of another generation that will start populating that because I can't think of any um, – of the first generation that hasn't been honored, you know, at this point. So it's uh, it's kind of a passing of the baton on on that. But I think it was it was more the pleasure of getting to you know bring these dreams to life that my my fan side is going. Wouldn't it be neat if we did this? And then okay, fine, you can do that. And <laughs> I, you know that to me was more. It's almost, I don't want to say embarrassing to be up there and have that name on it. That's, it's a great honor. But, it, you know, the other was, you know, like every kid's fantasy of getting to build a, you know, a Star Wars ride or put in a Splash Mountain or whatever. Um, get to go to Paris for five years and build a new park. And, again, we had five people that all thought the same way. They were all the ultimate fans. And they each took a land over there, and uh, it made my job easy because every one of every one of them had grown up with Disneyland and uh, knew, uh, you know, every which way what was good about it and what could be improved. What was good about Walt Disney World and could be improved. And so when we went over there, we were able to, you know, I didn't have to work, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I had all these people that you know just knew what they would do to make main street that much better or make the castle look even more beautiful and um make big thunder uh perform even better than it does so it was you know it's been a you know great experience and i always seek out those people Mm. and believe me they're on both sides of the fence there's people in fandom that um probably are happier that they don't have to cross the line and see you know, both the good and the, you know, the, the disappointing side of what, of making it into a job rather than keeping it as a pure, you know, aspirational mm. fantasy. But then there are so many people that really enjoy stepping across that line and, and getting to dig in and, and then on that last end, turning the button and it all goes into the right, you know, <laughs> and it's running and you go, I cannot believe we pulled this off. You know, that's, that's, to me, that's the moment where, um, it's just fantastic, you know. So, so let's sort of stay on the the fandom track a little bit because mm-hmm. last time I talked to you, um, Disney hadn't decided, or at least we didn't know. I didn't know that Disney was going to decide to put for me personally that final piece of my childhood puzzle together. It's Muppets, it's Disney, it's Marvel, and now it's Star Wars. Like yeah. the circle is yeah, now yeah, complete yeah. for me as of <laughs> right. So, as somebody who was so instrumental in putting something like Star Tours together, um, you know, when you see the acquisition of a franchise like that, which is all about, you know, detail-oriented, you know, incredible storytelling, what do you think about what that means for the fans and sort of the the potential for the future? Well, you know, in all of these things, whether it's Indiana Jones or it's Star Wars um, or a Disney film, like, you know, we've been in pretty good shape since Little Mermaid on. They've done a pretty good, you know, (laughs) Uh, you know, job of animation. 
And yeah, have you seen that Frozen thing? Yeah, yet? a few <laughs> times. But I, actually, I like Tangled better, but that's just me. Um, but the thing is, you know, I'm first in line. You know, I can hardly wait. You know, and we, we're sometimes lucky that they, they'll screen them for us uh, well in advance. So you become this advocate, you know, who's got to zip their lip. But you're going, oh, I'd love to tell people, what, you know, how cool this film is going to be. Uh, so whether it's an in-house thing, like... Uh, I remember when they were doing Tarzan and, and Glenn did all the animation in, in, in Paris. So when we were bored, we'd go into the city and there was Disney animation in Paris, you know. And they were working with these great artists from the Sorbonne and whatnot doing, um, you know, the musculature and everything. It was like, I just thought, man, we're going to a new level of art. And, and then when we were faced with taking the treehouse down... And I, I went, aha, you know, I can wangle a thing here, putting on my financially responsible hat <laughs> that we could publicize the new film and keep the tree and not go with the merchandising. So you're, you're working all this stuff. And then when it kind of works out, you go, this is really, really exciting. So I, I don't think unless you had that fan sense of knowing a film that's going to work. And like we had had a couple of you know, downer animation films, and then Tarzan kind of popped it back up. Um, and so there was there was a couple of spurts in there. But I knew intuitively when I saw it, you know, that this is a good one. We're, we're here again. But it's interesting that I don't think if you have that fan sensibility, you know. You know, you're hoping, well, I hope this goes... I hear a lot of people saying, well, I hope this goes over. I hope this is uh, really well-received and all that. And, you know, most of the time I go, I already know, you know, I know this is good or it's not. And with a Star Wars thing, you know, we were in line. We played hooky that afternoon, went to the Grauman's Chinese um, and saw it. And we ate at Hamburger Hamlet after seeing it. I remember thinking we should all go and invest in, in uh, 20th Century Fox, you know, because I didn't know Lucas from Adam. I just knew that dun, 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 20th Century Fox presented it. And we kind of laughed it off. But we all knew we'd just seen something, you know, earth-shaking and game-changing. Um, who would ever dream that you could find a point where you would be the kind of the catalyst to push it into the Disney <laughs> realm, you know? And I remember I, I just said, well, we're really lost touch with the fans. The kids that grew up all the way through Jungle Book uh, were then abandoned, and um, th they did a slew of movies that I call babysitter movies that were for... Parents would drop children off, but it wasn't a family participatory thing where every generation got into it. And that didn't reoccur until, say, Little Mermaid. So for those 20 years, you needed something for kids that were growing up then that they would identify, in my case, Disneyland with, uh, that was part of their childhood, the same way that Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, and Sleeping Beauty, those were all part of my childhood. Uh, but here we were with Star Wars and E.T. and Indiana Jones and and the like and so I you know I said we've got to go over to the studio and figure this out because uh, we're in danger of having kids not find Disneyland relevant and find it you know to be all those wonderful things of childhood that uh, it's got to be um, so I think that's always given me an edge of um, you know it's sort of um, people that aren't fans I think look at you with a little bit of askance you know like you know, what's wrong with you? When are you going to grow up? And, you know, you know, well, it's Tony, the Tony factor or whatever. And it's because they can't fathom it. And I think if you want a good example of that, the movie Big, um, you know, lays it out so well where 
uh, Tom Hanks's character that's a, a 12-year-old as a man, you know, sitting in this office while they're giving a chart on how you could increase your profits if you got into the 12 to 14-year-old. And he's sitting there playing with his toy, which is god-awful, and he just says, but there's nothing fun about a building that turns into a robot. Like, didn't you read your chart that shows that if we can move this into the 14-year-old bracket, we're going to double our sales and all that? And I literally, you know, there are people that you have to have in an organization that think that way. But I think Walt always kept that fan side in his way of perceiving the world. And so in my early part of my career, I think I had that and I was indulged because it was all those people that worked with Walt who were kind of starved after his death looking for someone who had that giddy, wouldn't it be fun if we did that, you know? And and so I, I suddenly found, wow, they're letting me do this, you know, and why? And I think it's because they weren't necessarily um, that oriented to the fandom side. They were brilliant artists, brilliant, you know, architects, to the engineers, but they weren't necessarily fans because they'd always worked there. And, and they were children before there was Disney uh, in the sense of the parks. So they don't know what it was like to be taken there as an eight-year-old and go on the Peter Pan ride. Nobody, none of them knew that. They built a Peter Pan ride to what Walt said it should be, but they never experienced it as a fan and and could see it. Because once you build something and you know all the technologies in there, you're going, oh, that projector is out. That one's dim and it's not, this isn't, that figure, the mouth isn't quite moving. And you come out and instead of like, I just went on a, magical journey with Pirates of the Caribbean, you're going, there were three things that weren't working, you know, and it's like, so it's kind of a curse, you know, that you, um, you have, if you've got that duality. And I think, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's helped that I can put both hats on, but some of the people, you know, just purely over on that other side. And, uh, and so that's where I think uh, anyone who does think and, and enjoy like a fan of our products uh, it makes it incredibly easier to develop projects mm-hmm. because you know, and you know, I, I've heard Walt, Walt says there's very little, um, or was this little story about you know there's you know there's uh, in every adult there's a lot uh, there's a child, um, and I don't make films just for children, and I truly believe that. But you know, um, you know the the society today tends to want you to grow out of that and put it aside and we do a very good job in school of beating the innocence and the childlike qualities out of kids so that they are politically correct and they do everything right and they they really aren't as imaginative as they were when they were 12 so uh, I think these fan events to me are a license for adults and they generally are older that's I think what I always see is they're not they're not teenagers, and they're not... Some people bring their kids, but the majority are fully functional adults. And I think it's a license to let go and, and let the, that innocent, childlike side of you guide your, your, your three or four days here. <laughs> I think we as fans, too, when we think about Imagineers, we want to believe that you guys are fans for us. And I think that... And I think from what I'm seeing from just a guest perspective and getting a chance to, to talk to Imagineers or work on new projects, I think we're seeing that more and more because you can see that sort of childlike excitement in their eyes when a new attraction is um, is being launched. You can see that sense of whimsy that they put in there, not because they think it affects the bottom line, but because it's something that they think is just fun and neat and cool. And so now, 
as a fan, mm-hmm. um, as somebody who was so instrumental in the uh, reimagining of Disneyland's Fantasyland mm-hmm. back in the 80s, when you go to Walt Disney World now and you see the expansion of New Fantasyland and sort of how they've crafted the story there and Storybook Circus and Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, have you seen it? And then you, I, I want Tony Baxter the Imagineer and I want Tony Baxter the fan reaction. I think that doing that as a coaster with little toad cars <laughs> going merrily, merrily over the hillside, <laughs> up and down, and, you know, passing all the crashing stuff and all that would have been a real kick. I think. Um, I think I would have looked to something that is mad and crazy, and and that's where my first thing was. They had a they had a, had to take the toad ride out down there, and this would have been an excellent way to bring that back. So that one was. To You're me, talking at my heartstrings, by the way. As yeah. Somebody who misses, misses Mr. Yeah. Toad. Well, we still have the one in California. We you know we, it's always like a Solomon decision. What do you do? <laughs> and I was the one who said, let's. You know, put the poo, uh, re- retheme it to the hundred acre woods, and put it out in critter country so that we can keep toad. Uh, and that way, in Florida, we have a country bear jamboree, and in California, we have Mr. Toad. So the two attractions still exist, and we didn't lose them completely. But anyway, I mean, I think parts of that are beautiful. I think the Little Mermaid Grotto is gorgeous, and um, you know, and the and the little uh, meet and greet thing with uh, Belle is extraordinary. You know, it's more appropriate than the 20,000 Leagues experience, which I worked on. Mm. Um, it was with Claude Coates and was removed in order to make space for all this. So um, that was kind of a, a, no pun intended, but a fish out of water. <laughs> like, what was that doing in the in the middle of fairy tale land, these big warships? But, but we didn't care. Yeah, we, we didn't care. We didn't care because it was just so cool. Yeah. Tony, I bought into it. I, I, I did, too. I, I felt that we were going underwater. Yeah. So I can see where a lot of people would say, well, this, this is not a matchup. So I think now it has a consistency that this continues that um, uh, the quality that's in the rest of the area. And in some cases, it's better quality because um, they were able to put more detail and more expense into it. So from that, um, that part of it, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about. So, But I miss 20,000 leagues. I, you know... And there's a couple of newer attractions. I would love to have done a Tangled ride. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites. And um, yeah, Tangled restroom, not as good as a Tangled no, attraction. <laughs> no, it's like a little kid says, Mommy, there's, you know, Rapunzel's Tower. <laughs> oh, it's a bathroom. Okay, well, you know. But it's a beautiful bathroom. Yeah, it is. It's it's a beautiful, as bathrooms go, yeah. it's a beautiful bathroom. But there's a tremendous amount of uh, product that Disney has done, you know, in the last two decades that really, you know, there's a generation of kids uh, you know, from Princess and the Frog and on through to, you know, um, um, Frozen. All of, all three of those are great films. And then you go back, and there is Belle in there, but I would have done that as a theater show or something mm-hmm. um, to amp up it up a little more on that. Just eating in the restaurant is okay, but I want I want rides. Right. So, um, but you know, Aladdin is a great story. All of those films uh, were terrific you know and so I, someday we, we've got to figure out a way to get them all uh, so that every generation no matter when you came uh, in, into adulthood that you bring your childhood with you into Disneyland and it's there forevermore I think that's critical to keeping it relevant so if they, if they said Tony look money is no object you could put it wherever you want you can, if you could bring back one of these, these extinct attractions from Walt Disney World, which would it be? Journey into Imagination. See, we were hoping he was going to say that. Yeah, no, I, 
Um, I think they understand what um, you know they did there now. Unfortunately, it's after the fact. Uh, but the the play off of Figment and Dreamfinder is like a classic uh, comedy team of Laurel and Hardy or uh, Evan Costello or Dean Martin, and Jerry Lewis, and you need a straight guy to, to play right. And um, the way it is now, they're both great comedians, but they can't play off each other because they're both wild and crazy. And um, I, I think they missed the heart of the story, which is uh, something that's precious to everybody that we all. You know, gather information like you're doing from me right now, and people will listen to this and store it, and then they'll use nuggets of it to create new things and think about new things. And that basic um, thread, we got into that ride in a very, I think, both on a on a cursory level, but up on a very deep level. And I, I cannot tell you how many people have written in and said, you know, like my child was transformed by this experience or people that were married with figment in the ceremony i you know just yeah. you cannot believe and i was thrilled when marvel just last month um decided to um issue a figment mm-hmm. you know series and, and kind of it's it's the origin story of how figment got and Dreamfinder got started so hopefully that'll be very popular and how about a figment movie you know, i think that would be good <laughs> And collectively, people lose their minds as they hear you say yeah. "figment movie." Um, so, one, one last question, because again, I, I could talk to you forever about this kind of stuff. But as somebody who has watched the progression of <clears throat> the attraction industry, both in Disney and, and elsewhere, as a fan, obviously the trend now is to, unlike when Disneyland opened in in, in the mid fifties, simply a passive experience was mm-hmm. enough for the guests. Mm-hmm. Now, now we are craving. We're a, a rush generation. We're a digital generation. And what we're seeing happening is a much more interactive type of experience in the parks. Do you like that trend? Is that something you think is going to continue? I think it all comes down to how it's integrated. Um, you know, you've got to be careful. You get so excited about new technology. And, and you know, like uh, when, when we did Star Tours, um, here you've got this simulator. Nobody's had a simulator before. Well, we should show it. We should let everyone see it rocking around. Um, and we fought that like crazy. We said no because it's nothing about simulation. It's about going on a, a rocket ship to Endor, and that's all the guests should know. They don't want you know. We should, nobody should see that. So I think that there's a tug of war that you get something new that's exciting and you want to just throw it out there. And like our phones, it is it's honest. But if Disney was to do this, it needs to fit into a story where it's seamlessly invisible. And it maybe isn't ready yet. In fact, I talked with some young people from Carnegie Mellon, um, which has a really advanced program that combines digital technology with theater. And what was great about that is they said, this isn't ready yet. You know, the, the phone and activating scenes in a ride with this phone would be intrusive mm-hmm. to the show. You've got to wait until you can do that in a way where it is absolutely seamless to telling the story. And that is the history of Disney, who was always a technical leader, from you know putting sound on film and color and audiometronics, and we did the simulation uh, attractions and so forth. Uh, I think you've got to be very careful that it's invisible. Mm-hmm. And I'll go out on a limb here. I'd say I, I would rather have a magic key than I would have a wristband. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's the kind of thing, as you think about a magic key that opens portals and things to... Uh, that seamlessly blends into our story. It's something that I remember having magic key coupons when I was a kid. <laughs> um, 
and those were the good ones because they were good. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm of the of the ilk of saying technology is half the the story. The other way is how do you integrate it in, and so it becomes invisible to supporting the the main idea, which is immersing people in a experience. Um, where they will be more and more in command of controlling that, but it has to feel exactly like it's part of, uh, rather than intruding into um, what 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 is already there. even a, a low tech, somewhat no tech part of the experience. You know, story time with Bell, where the guest is part yeah. of it, helps direct where the story is going to go. No, that's a great example of moving uh, into a much more interactive thing. I'd like to put people on ride vehicles where you can race other people, you know, because that hasn't been done. And you get ahead and you start to drift behind and other people get in front of you. I've got a, an idea for that. And, uh, and it could be anything from horses to motorcycles or light cycles or whatever, um, you know. And those are the kind of things that uh, would be technically uh, out there on the fringe, but they would be, once you decided whether it's a horse or it's a, a light cycle or a, or a speeder bike, you you know from then on however you did that should be just completely invisible and allow you to get immersed in it you said light cycle and speeder bike and my brains just fell out of my head because well i could be i like say it doesn't matter because what i deal with is not technology and not necessarily that it's this emotional connection thing and so once you've got something that you know We've never been able to put people in a situation where they can get ahead, mm-hmm. or you know, in a like if you imagine a massive race thing where they fire the gun and everybody goes off and it's all of this swooshing around and everything. Um, that would be neat to do, you know. So like, I think it would be just as much fun on horses, or it would be, you know. But you, once you decide, then everything works to support that story rather than show you the gimmick. Yeah, the gimmick has got to be invisible. So I only point that up as a. Uh, a way of describing to me how you've got to bury those things once you settle. Cool. Tony, like I said, I could do this all day with you. Thank you so very okay. much. Speeder bike. <laughs> Tron in Tomorrowland. I'm just saying. Hey. I mean, horses are great, but, you know, who, wants, who doesn't want to be on a speeder bike? Horses can be really great. for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details and what you see, maybe even what you hear. You can then enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I had a very simple question for you, which was to identify who or what was Mr. Imagination. Thanks again to the hundreds of you who entered this week. Most of you got this correct. I wish some of the answers like Figment or Dreamfinder would have been correct. Instead, what we were looking for was actually the name of a statue in Dinoland, USA. Gregory Warmack, who is an artist, was known as Mr. Imagination. He was a self-taught artist whose creations, like the one in Animal Kingdom, were made from common materials like trash and rubble and pieces of concrete and you can actually find two of his pieces of work in Walt Disney World. The one I think a lot of people most commonly recognize can be found outside of Chester and Hester's Dino-Rama. It's a bluish dinosaur sculpture 
but also there's one in downtown Disney. If you go to the entranceway by the Unity Grotto, by the Voodoo Garden, you'll find one of his pieces of work there. So I would have taken the dinosaur, downtown Disney, Gregory Warmack, anything that's sort of related to who or what Mr. Imagination was and what he created. So again, I took all of the correct entries this week that were submitted, randomly selected one, and you were playing for all six of my virtual audio walking tours of the parks, a copy of my 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World, and I pulled a random item from some of my Disney collection that I've been putting up on eBay recently. This week, I'll be sending out a Kongaloosh Cup from the now-extinct Adventurers Club. So again, thanks to all of you who entered. This week's winner, selected randomly from all the correct entries, is Ryan Breen. So Ryan, congratulations. Get me your address. I'll get your package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, thanks for playing. But don't worry, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So I thought since I was talking to Tony Baxter, we would have a Tony Baxter-related question. And he's worked on so many amazing attractions in Walt Disney World and Disneyland, including Journey to Imagination, Star Tours, Indiana Jones, uh, Finding Nemo Submarine Voyage, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, Captain EO, and of course, Splash Mountain. And that's what your question is about this week. So tell me, what was Splash Mountain originally going to be named and hint you might actually find a clue in a previous interview i did with tony back on show 289 so again tell me what was the original proposed name for splash mountain now because i'm going to be on the ww radio cruise on the disney dream with everybody coming up this weekend then i'm headed from the port when i get back out to dallas to speak at podcast movement i'm going to give you two weeks to answer this question so you have until sunday august 17th at 11:59 p.m to email your answer to contest at wdwradio.com. You will once again be playing for all the audio tours of Walt Disney World, a copy of my new 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World book. And this week, I'm going to give you a special prize. I'm going to give you a hand-signed photo from Disney composer and legend and half of the Sherman Brothers team, Richard Sherman. Signed photo, the book, all the audio tours. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. Thanks again to my very special guest, Tony Baxter. Don't forget to go back, listen to show number 289, where I had my first opportunity to sit and chat with Tony about his career last year. Also want to say thanks to all of you who have rated and reviewed the show over on iTunes and everybody who's gone out to Amazon.com and posted such wonderful reviews about my new book, 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World, including Joe Jackson, Deep Potts, Beckstar, and Marcel Troost from over in the Netherlands. Really appreciate it. To find out more, visit Disney102.com. Also, while you're on the site, be sure and check out our multiple daily blog posts. We have a great team of about 25, 30 writers posting some incredible content from a lot of different angles every single day. New videos, which you can find and get first by subscribing to the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Radio. We also have a free newsletter that comes to your inbox every week, the free WW Radio app. 
and of course, the live broadcast every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern over at www.radiolive.com. Please be sure and follow me over on Twitter. I am at Lou Mangiello. You can follow my personal profile over at facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello and get all the Disney stuff by visiting and liking facebook.com slash Radio. If you want to be heard on the air, you can call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. You can also leave a voicemail just by clicking on the Leave Lua voicemail box on the right-hand side of the page over at www.radio.com. And if you have a question you want answered on the air, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com. And of course, you know, as much as I love connecting with you online and engaging with you there, nothing my friends, beats a handshake and a hug, and that's why we do our monthly meets of the month in Walt Disney World. The next one is going to be this Saturday, August 9th, at the Boardwalk Bakery. That's right before the land portion of our Neverland and Sea event. We've got our Atlantic Dance Hall event during the day, Illuminations dessert party at night, and then, of course, we leave on the Disney Dream in the morning. When I get back from the Dream, I'm heading right from the port to the airport because I'm heading out to Dallas to speak at Podcast Movement. And so while I'm there, I thought we would have an on-the-road meetup. So on Sunday, August 17th, we are going to have a meetup over at the Grand Lux Cafe at 7 p.m. Again, that's August 17th. That's at the Galleria in Dallas. For more information, you can visit the events page over at www.radio.com or our Facebook events page as well. That's how you can find out how you can RSVP and register there. Hopefully, if you are in the Dallas area, you can come out and say hi. Please stay tuned for other events both in Walt Disney World and on the road coming soon. And don't forget, too, if you can't join us on our cruise this year, come and join us in Alaska next year from June 1st through the 8th. Again, information about all these events can be found at the events page at www.radio.com. Big thanks to my partners and sponsors. Mouse Fan Travel helps make a lot of these events take place. You can visit them over at mousefantravel.com and get a free no-obligation quote for any of our events or any trip that you're about to take to Walt Disney World, Land, Adventures by Disney, Alani, the Cruise Line, whatever it might be. And if you want some magic delivered right to your doorstep every other month, you can visit celebrationspress.com and subscribe and order back issues there. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tell, you that, tell your friends. Tweet out that you're listening. Come by, like, and comment. And more importantly, share over on Facebook. And please, come review the show over on iTunes. Again, thanks to Colson Lives, Extant 2, Depot 86, and Soccer Guy 11. Really appreciate all the five-star reviews. And most importantly, I want to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to tune in and listen and email me and tweet me and for allowing me to do what I love and share it with you each and every week in so many different ways. Uh, I live the life I only could have dreamed of and I want you to as well. So if there doesn't look like there's a way for you to do what you want, then just create one. And I also want to say thank you to all of you and the incredible outpouring of love uh, this past weekend it was my birthday on Sunday, and I never make a big deal about it. It's just another day to me. It's only a state of mind. I'm still a seven-year-old boy trapped in a 46-year-old body. But I asked everybody to do me a favor, and if you missed it on Facebook and Twitter, maybe you can still give me a little birthday present. And all I'm asking you to do is just go out and p- perform a random act of kindness for a complete stranger today. Pay for their coffee. Give somebody working in the heat a bottle of water. Let somebody cut in front of you in line, buy a lottery ticket for somebody you don't know, or just be extra nice to everybody you encounter and be the reason that somebody smiles today. And if you do, please let me know what you did. Tweet me, Facebook me, and if you like how it feels, let it become a habit 
and do it as often as you can. Thank you again so, so very much. I love each and every one of you guys. So until next time, have a great week, everybody. See ya. Hi, Lou. This is Lauren Lineker-Kaplan from Hillsboro, New Jersey. I just wanted to call today and wish you a very happy birthday. About two years ago today, my husband and I were standing in line at Blizzard Beach waiting for lunch. And uh, my husband looked over and he said to me, is that Lou Mangiello? And I said, no, there's absolutely no reason we're running into him randomly on our one day in the park. And I turned over and it was you and your family. And uh, it was a really nice moment for us. It was really lovely to see you. And uh, we hope you're having another great day with family and friends. And uh, wish you a happy and healthy year. Talk to you soon. Thanks, thanks for all you do. Hi, Lou. This is Tony from Illinois, also known as Backside of Water in the Box. I just got done listening to show number 371 about the top 10 uh, Disney World uh, narrators, and I just had to throw out this story. I mean, judging from my uh, screen name in the box, Backside of Water, you can tell I'm a huge Jungle Cruise fan, and this last January, I had the single best Jungle Cruise skipper I ever had, Skipper Sergio. In addition to all the the classic jokes, there was a lot of singing. Uh, there was a backlog waiting for the unload area, so we were talking about Disney movies and everything. It was just, I laughed harder than I ever laughed before. He was the, the best skipper I ever had. Added so much to the ride. I, I I've been on a Jungle Cruise 500 times, but never like that. I hope I get to sail with Skipper Sergio again. But I just wanted to pass along that story and keep up the good work. Hey, Lou. It's Chris from West Palm Beach. Uh, you know, the long story short guy. <laughs> anyway, um, just wanted to chime in. Uh, just got to uh, just listen to your uh, narration. Um, you know, narrators of uh, top ten uh, Walt Disney World attraction nar- narrators. It's Paul Freese did the uh, narration for um, the Haunted House, both in uh, Disneyland and Disney World, and that is who you hear throughout the the for the most part throughout the attraction. Um, but I enjoyed everything else. Um, another great show. Listen, Bud, I really appreciate your passion for uh, Disney World and uh, supporting a lot of people, too. You're a good person. So uh, I'll talk to you soon. I hope to see you in October. And, if you know, we'll find out in later months or whatever when you're going to be there. I think uh, it's supposed to be early in October. But anyway, uh, you take care of yourself. Love your passion for uh, Disney. and. The best to everybody. Take care. Bye. Hello, Lou Mangiello. This is Darlene Yankee from West Seneca, New York. I am so excited to talk to WGW Radio Group, the WGW Box People, and the WDW Radio Disney Wonder Alaska Cruise Group. This is awesome. It's 305 days until the cruise. I am so excited. I am leaving in now two days to go to Walt Disney World, Animal Kingdom, 
and another park, and then back to Walt Disney World Boardwalk. And the Atlantic Dance Hall is less than two weeks away. It's like a week and two days. So this is going to be a great vacation. I hope you all have a wonderful, magical day. It's 61 degrees in Buffalo, New York today. So keep your thoughts in positive ways and have a magical day. You've got a friend in me. Yeah.